Another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. I'm joined by a special guest this week, and you'll hear about this in our quick preamble. I've been committed to keeping male-identifying folks off the podcast to simply provide this as a platform for more female, non-binary, and folks that might not have a microphone. Yet this gentleman has come from South Africa via several other countries and has landed as the president of REW. And if you're in the real estate market at all, you know that REW is the marketplace, the space for people looking for real estate. And undeniably, the real estate market is one heck of a hot topic. So he came from a few different referral sources and I said, all right, he better be interesting and he certainly does deliver on interesting. It was a conversation that left me enlightened, that gave me pause for thought and was great perspective on how Vancouver or the West Coast lines up as a place to live and what really matters. And it could be about more than just the cost of your home and the cost of produce. And really there's something to look into. What is the cost of a life well lived? I hope you enjoy this one. Hi, Simon. Welcome to the pod. Hey, how are you doing, Steph? Very good to be here. I am really grateful for your time and your heart because, as I was saying just before we hit record, you know, we have really been trying to feature, let's say, non Caucasian passing men specifically on this <laughs> pod. And you. Sorry just- to disappoint. No, you came too highly recommended for me to say no. And if there is something that I know to be true, that you are a newer leader to Vancouver with many stories to uncork, if you will. So I wanted to share that so that I am true to the word of who we will feature on this podcast. And I'd love you to introduce yourself and tell us who you are, however you would like. I'll start with the practical stuff, the easy stuff, the why I'm here in Vancouver stuff. My name is Simon. I'm a kind of business leader. I started in uh, software in South Africa many moons ago, hence the flat accent that I just can't get rid of no matter where I go. Started in the software space and very quickly got into the marketplace space. So marketplaces is really just a digital platform type business that connects one side of the market to the other side of the market. So professionals to seekers or consumers of some kind. And it really started for me in real estate. So I started running a real estate portal business in South Africa on the beach in a little coastal town called Mschlanger in in Durban. And it was a fantastic journey. Not only that, it opened up a network and an opportunity to connect with similar businesses around the world. So yeah, I got my start in this marketplace sector, this marketplace business environment. And I found a community of people that I didn't know really existed. Uh, It kind of makes sense to you now when you look at it, every single country in the world has people looking for a new home and every single country in the world has one or two platforms that people generally go to to start their search. And those platforms are represented by super interesting people, whether it's in Australia, the UK, Western Europe, Southeast Asia, LATAM, uh, all of these tech entrepreneurs that are trying to help people connect housing with their needs and requirements. And through that community, I've kind of grown as a professional, I've grown as a business leader, 
but I've also moved around the world. So I've had the opportunity to work first in South Africa and building a business there. Then in the rest of Africa, we had a couple of businesses that were doing similar things in Nigeria and Kenya, very cool countries. And then ultimately Western Europe. And we had a number of real estate marketplace businesses in parts of the world like Chile and Peru and Colombia, as well as Southeast Asia, you know, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, and Philippines in particular. So it's been an amazing cultural experience beyond just the business experience. So when I got the opportunity to expand that horizon to the fourth continent and come and do it here in Vancouver in North America, it was just an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Yeah, so an exciting path that I never intended to be in, but something that's been great fun exploring the world and exploring the business that I'm in. Yeah, well, it couldn't be a more timely time to have the conversation of real estate. And as you're listing off these countries, I was like, the Vancouver, let's call it, or Canadian real estate market could not be more different than these other countries that you have come from. And, you know, the real estate market is absolutely bananas. And yet, you know, what you say is true. We are humans that are looking for a roof over our heads and wherever you are in the world, that is what we are looking for in many different ways. And so I can't help but ask the obvious, which is what has been most astounding I use that word consciously to you in coming to experience the Vancouver real estate market right now. Well, you see it to greater and lesser degrees all over the world. I mean, first of all, I'm just going to pick up on what you said. You're 100% right. When you think about real estate, people often think about an industry and then they want to talk to me about market statistics and who's good, who's not good, how much should I sell my house for, how much I shouldn't. But the truth of real estate, it's that it's this hyper-personal journey. You know, everyone has a home that they live in or aspire to live in, and that is universal. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. which country you're in, that need for housing and security and the kind of connection to community that housing brings is pretty universal. So I definitely agree with you there. That's transferable. The market learnings are obviously the interesting things. And coming via... Africa, a lot of developing nations in the world kind of being involved in building platforms in their countries, seeing the state of real estate in an ancient place like Spain, where we lived for a few years, and then comparing it to Vancouver. I would say the one thing that's been astounding to me about Vancouver is just, and and I guess the metro markets in Canada, is just how tightly woven the financial asset component of owning a home is to people's psyche. In other markets, it's the house that comes first. It's the, I hope I don't lose money. Maybe I'll make some money that comes second. Mm. Uh, whereas, whereas here in Canada, it just feels like that's been flipped on its head. And it's not something that I'm particularly thrilled about, you know, like as an external observer kind of now participating in that market, I think treating your home as an asset first and a social utility second is maybe not the right way to think about it, but it's certainly been the most confronting thing coming here. This is how you build wealth. You have a home. And that's kind of an unusual paradigm in some other parts of the world. Of course, real estate is an investment wherever you go. But here, it just seems like it's the most important thing about real estate. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I get that big time. And... I think we're in a market where people have made 
more than they'll ever make because of their real estate. And it has become very polarizing because you have certain people that can participate in the game and, and others that cannot. So I think it's a wild ride. I think we could talk about real estate and I don't want to talk about real estate totally <laughs> today. Neither do I. Neither um, do I. <laughs> okay, beautiful. So if we were to change gears, you've mentioned that you have traveled the world really in the space that is marketplace. And I think it's fascinating to know that real estate has been a part of marketplace. And I can't help but ask which other marketplaces that have nothing to do with real estate have you looked mm-hmm. to for inspiration or that you think are doing a really great job? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Yeah, marketplaces are just such a big part of our lives today. If you look at pretty much any service that we interact with, we're, we have these expectations of uh, almost infinite choice. So, you know, you could call your Netflix or Disney Plus a marketplace. It's connecting you to creators and it's connecting you to content. You could think of Spotify and the incredible way that they've built a curated experience on top of the world's music and think of that as a type of media marketplace. But probably my favorite example, and it's one that I use a lot, is the idea of Airbnb. So I think what Airbnb have done is taken the idea of experiences and made them accessible to a large group of people that otherwise wouldn't have had those experiences. So Mm -hmm. even during the pandemic and the kind of recovery from COVID, you see a lot of people kind of working from anywhere. And... Airbnb is a big part of that trend. It's like, oh, I'll go and live in a house for a month or three and I'll work from there and I'll see a new part of the world and I'll meet new people. And I think that's a pretty awesome thing. But just from a kind of like a tech and experience point of view, I look at what they've done, bringing guests into the platform, creating confidence, security and trust for them, bringing hosts into the platform you know, creating incentive and transaction platforms and trust for them and doing it all in a way where they are both ever present and always in the background. You Mm -hmm. know, so there's just something very natural and organic about the marketplace. So there's a lot to aspire to there, I think, from a business and model point of view. But the story is also a powerful story. You know, you talk about the founders of that business and since the beginning, they've had a very human-centered voice message and story. And I think you see that come through in the user experiences that they create and the brand messaging that they have and in the way they treat their employees and their team. So it's quite cool to see. They've also become a little bit of a vision of a modern business, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you share that because as I think about marketplaces, you know, you think of everything from what is Facebook marketplace and how people not only buy and sell, yet give, give and receive for free. So it's not always commerce. And it feels like a decade ago that we were thinking about the impact of Airbnb coming onto the market. And all of a sudden now people's homes were hotels and Uber, all of a sudden your car was a taxi. And this transition that we have been a part of, you know, really has changed how we travel and how we experience things. And for Airbnb to keep it so human is incredible. And they do a really great job of taking additional fees (laughs) and making it a powerful commerce platform. And with that, it's a great segue. I'm curious your experience in coming to Vancouver, coming to British Columbia, let's say, what have you felt is lacking? And not necessarily that a marketplace can cure or 
solve for. I just think it's a beautiful question to say, you've landed here with fresh perspective. And what is needed in this new place that you now call home? Yeah, that's a big question. First of all, I have to say, I really love our new home. You know, Vancouver is a special city, and I think Canada is a special country. Coming from another part of, I guess, the the old Commonwealth, there's a sense of similarity and familiarity that you have with some of the cultural precepts and some of the concepts. But what's awesome about this west side of Canada is just how diverse it is. Because that's a big part of my personal experience is living in very diverse countries. And certainly South Africa is this incredible melting pot of different cultures and expressions and, and ways of living. And I think that's quite cool to see out here as well. You've got this east meets west fusion that just happens with the people. And it's against the backdrop of one of the more beautiful parts of the world. So it's impossible to escape the scenery of the city. And you only have to fly into, I don't know, Newark or something to see what life could be. So yeah, I feel incredibly privileged from that point of view. But what's missing? It's an expensive place to live. It's a very expensive place to live. And I don't want to like harp on it from an affordability or real estate kind of point of view at all. I just think coming from South Africa as I have, I can see the really unfortunate implications of you know inequality. And I don't want to use like the word just as like a banner for everything, just the have and have nots and distance between people on a social and kind of financial level can create some really unfortunate outworkings in a society. And so I think that's something that, you know, Canada in general and a few other Western democracies kind of need to watch is like, how do we build a more inclusive society, one that you know, it sure has a kind of meritocracy at its core and you can get ahead and you can have agency and build exciting projects or teams or businesses, but that also uplifts each other. And I often think about that in the course of the work that we do is, you know, how can we build sustainable revenue models that help us grow the team, that help that team realize the ambitions that they have as individuals. And I would say that's the one thing that, confronts me a little bit about life in Vancouver. You know, I was living in Madrid before and Madrid is a you know, fantastic society. It's in Europe, it's on a strong currency, but there seems to be just a much greater level of affordability in how people live. You know, their ability to access food and public spaces and housing and transport and people discuss money a lot less, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer, but that is what came to mind. (laughs) You're really highlighting the truth and the obvious that sometimes I think we, as Canadians or as people that have been living here for a long time, forget. And my girlfriend recently came up from the US and she said, all you talk about is real estate. Like Mm. you only talk about how much your place is worth and how much this place and how hard it's been and how many bids that, 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 and I think we also forget like how much an organic head of cauliflower costs. And to your point of food and money, it does feel very centric and it could use a little bit of space to talk about other very important things. It's interesting to hear that perspective and I appreciate it. I wanted to ask you that because as I mentioned just before we hit record, there were a few different folks in your world who had said, 
you really have to have a conversation with Simon. And they said he has many stories that we can't find online from his travels and from his time. And that is all I've been told. And so with that, (laughs) it feels like such an ambiguous punt. I passed to you to say, if there is one untold story and it's not the only one, it's simply a story that has helped shape who you are as a leader that happened or that has occurred before you've landed here in Vancouver, is there something that you can share with us? Sure. I don't know what stories everybody else has told you or referred to. You've probably realized already this. Each of us have these like incredible life experiences and they shape us in different ways. I came out of varsity not having a clue what I was going to do with my life. And so not a lot of people know this, but I was effectively a fashion designer for about 18 months in my history. I started a little streetwear brand, and thankfully, I got an expert involved pretty quickly, somebody that was a grad out of fashion design school in Johannesburg. And we built a cool story around a brand and launched it. And that was a really interesting journey for me because up until then, uh, everything had been through the lens of kind of academics and schooling and the the categories of how you're going to live, work, and earn money. And then at that point, you kind of throw everything up in the air and you say, I know nothing about this domain, but I've got some interest in it. And we're going to start a little business together with a team. And that was incredibly foundational for me because that is actually everything business is ever about is Mm -hmm. the team of people that you put together, the vision and the story you tell yourselves and others about what you're doing and the process of kind of making and creating and adding value. And so I learned a lot through that exercise. I also learned what sort of margin you can make in a fashion business, which is very negative, but it was a good positive experience at the right time in my life. I don't talk about it a lot now because it seems so counterintuitive to what it is that I'm doing today, Mm -hmm. but it's actually been very foundational in how I think about building teams and businesses now. And I think sometimes to a fault, like I always anticipate that other people will have the same entrepreneurial view of life that even Mm. if you haven't been trained for something with the right attitude and the right people around you and the right vision you can go and achieve it so yeah I don't know if that's a decent story but of course of course it is it's the untold stories and you know I was just speaking with a beautiful human who is the mechanic the only mechanic at the city of Vancouver and you would read her LinkedIn profile and just think that she's been an executive there for 25 years when in fact she came out of her schooling and her apprenticeship to fix the city of Vancouver vehicles and has worked her way up and I think that this podcast exists to tell the stories that we can't find out on LinkedIn and to leave people with food for thought of how important and how relevant their own story is. And it's only through stories that we connect with other people and realize like, heck, that thing I did as an entrepreneur was, was pretty neat too, you know, and you know, entrepreneurs, I really believe a state of mind, it's not a title or a label. So nailed that. Oh, cool, Steph. Yeah, I mean, I think that entrepreneurial state of mind is undervalued in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Like, I've always believed that wherever you go, you're an entrepreneur, you know, you're creating value and that value is what moves you and your company forward. And for some reason, you enter the workplace and people start using words like KPI and 
management and my role and your role. And they kind of forget about just the overall value picture and how they can contribute to it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would yeah. encourage anybody to think a little bit like an entrepreneur in whatever business they're in. Absolutely. I thought you were going to use the word employee, but you said KPI. <laughs> I mean, I think what's the title? I Some of my most fun endeavors before I became an entrepreneur was being an entrepreneur as an employee. So I hear that. I want to ask one more question before we wrap. And that is undeniably what is, you know, one aspect of you that's so inspiring is your ability to stay unanchored and to travel as you have and to choose to, you know, pick up your family and see and live and experience so many different parts of the world. And I think on the other side, I don't know if we're quite there yet, of the pandemic where we have all been really hunkering down in one location, what has inspired you or what has allowed you to be as unhinged as you have to date in your career? That's the first time I've been called unhinged. That's great. (laughs) I try and remind myself all the time, like uh, time and opportunity is the most important resource that we have in life. So don't pass them up. Don't create Uh, kind of artificial restraints or restrictions to moving into the things that you have in front of you uh, as possibilities. And I've been very lucky to have, you know, the type of people around me that have supported that opportunity. So, you know, my wife has (laughs) been fantastic in being open to these kinds of moves and, you know, going and living as an English speaking foreigner in Madrid building your Ikea furniture and kind of moving into uh, one of 17 apartments you looked at and not knowing much about how the leasing systems work there and everything. Those experiences sound fun, but they're actually quite anxiety producing at the time. So, So to do that with someone is quite special. And I would say that's probably been the one thing, whether it's, you know, the partnership of my wife or the opportunity gifted me by people that have believed in me in the work environment, you know, mentors and people that I've worked with in my business endeavors or friends and colleagues that have kind of just given me a shot. Those people have been the greatest avenue, obviously, for the opportunity that unfolds in front of you. I wouldn't call it unhinged at all. I know what you mean by unanchored. It did feel quite strange arriving in Vancouver and a month later, you know, the flights were shut down. You couldn't leave even if you wanted to. The ships had been burnt. You know, you feel a little bit like a pilgrim in a new land. And I guess to some degree you are. It doesn't feel like that. As I said, if you've got that partnership and people around you that believe in you and support you, and if you have the opportunity to explore, then you're kind of at peace wherever you are, even Mm. if it's quite an unusual and different place to be. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I don't, mm-hmm. know, I don't know if I answered the question there at all, but those were just yeah. some of my musings. I, I mean, I love your musings and no artificial restrictions. And I would just want to put an asterisk to being an English speaking person in an English speaking country. I still don't know how to put Ikea furniture together. So <laughs> I don't think I can't imagine what it's like in Spain. And I don't know if this is a global term, but in Canada, at least, IKEA is an acronym for I can't even assemble. And (laughs) that I think is true of every piece of IKEA furniture I've ever owned. So we can relate. It's it's a real thing. 
Simon, the clock ticks and we must Mm. wrap this. And our final question on the podcast, we've been dancing between a few, yet the one for you feels appropriate to say, what is currently making your heart beat faster? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know whether that's a reference to a kind of large shadow looming behind you or a great and exciting opportunity ahead. But I guess for me, it's both of those things. You know, I came to Vancouver and I guess by extension, this Canadian market with a great opportunity in a family sense to kind of settle the family in a new place. And I feel like we've really done that. But it was all predicated on this opportunity in the, in the business world. And, you know, we're working hard on this business called REW, Real Estate Works. And ahead of us are huge expectations. I mean, we've, we've created, I think, a great business, particularly out here in the west of Canada, and it's growing strongly, and I've got a great team around us. But we hold ourselves to a very high standard on the type of uh, experience we want to create for home seekers and all of the kind of guided processes and opportunities that we want to create for those home seekers in their home search. Uh, and so... What's making my heart beat faster is the weight of all of that expectation. And I think a lot of people deal with that at different points in their life. Mm-hmm. But it's a big moment. You know, we're in what looks to be an increasingly bear market and crazy turbulent time in world history. I mean, some of the events and circumstances that surround us, I think we just don't even begin to understand the impact that they are going to have in this generation and the next. And it's all happening and playing out right now. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that, you want to build something awesome. And so that's getting my heart beating faster. The, mm-hmm. the weight of expectation to do something meaningful, to make an impact in this particular business environment and with this team. And the fear that that also tickles in the back of your neck, that, mm-hmm. you know, this is not an opportunity that you want to miss. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think it's couldn't be more honest of you because I think if you're in the market, be it a buyer or a seller, you feel that. If you're in the business world right now with the stock market crashing, you feel that. And so I love that you've just brought light to, you know, dare you say the shadow behind or the shadow ahead. That is probably very true for everyone. And, you know, when the market turns down, you want to say, how do I batten the hatches and hang on for the ride? Or how do I make something really special? And I know that I can say, I feel like I'm in a bit of camp A and camp B of where do you batten down and and what can we create right now so that when we come out the other side, which we know we will, we have something really special to show for it or to offer people. And I think undeniably what you are creating is essential. And we know that the turn will come and it doesn't matter if you're at the high or the low part of the market, we need your marketplace. And so it's also very special to have someone who sees the real estate world here beyond, uh, let's call it the 604 area code. And so, yeah, I would just want you to know that your perspective is not lost to know that there's a big world out there and the Vancouver market is just one, one spot on the map. Totally, totally. And we're just, we're just one part of this, you know, this global community kind of finding our way. I, I think everyone has probably got that thrill of uncertainty yeah. Uh, both in a both in an you know an anxious and exciting sense. It's like mm-hmm. what is around the corner? Yeah. Certainly not status quo. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh gosh, I love that. It sounds like an oxymoron, but yet one that I can get behind. The thrill of uncertainty. If we know one thing to be true, it is that this lifetime is uncertain. So welcome to Vancouver. We've been here for some time. I love that you have found home in a beautiful place. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Thank you. Thanks, Steph. I really appreciate talking on a kind of deeper level about some of the things that seem inane in the moment, but thanks very much. Hey, Steph, how's it going? Simon here. I've been reflecting a lot on that question that you asked at the end of our interview a couple of days ago, this idea of what gets your heart beating faster. (laughs) It's an interesting question to answer, and I think when I answered it in our session, it was very focused on kind of like what's near and present and what's in front of me right now and what is the challenge and the expectation related to what's in front of me right now and that is exciting I mean that gets the heart beating faster it focuses the mind you can sense the anxiety and the expectation of it all but I think more generally if I had to answer that question what gets the heart beating faster it would be this idea of hope and hopefulness is really what gets me excited. It gets me going. There's something deep down in my bones about that that just gets me fired up. And it's not positivity at all odds. It's not this idea of, you know, rose-tinted glasses and everything's going to be better. But it really is this like grit, determination, realization of whatever the challenge is, whatever the kind of thing in front of us that makes it difficult for us to achieve something there are always two paths. There's this path of hopefulness and desire to see a better outcome, a future outcome that we can all get stoked about, or this nihilistic view of descent into chaos or uncontrollable circumstance driving an outcome. And I kind of see that in the world today. I really see these two paths increasingly being presented to us. One which is backward-looking, fatalistic disappointment at the circumstance that we may find ourselves in, whether that's, you know, the stock market or the state of uh, current affairs in, in Europe or, you know, just the overhang of the pandemic and the challenges with that or the lack of inclusiveness that we observe in some of our societies and the structures that those societies are built on. The other path is that one that I think continues to drive us forward, this idea of hope and excitement and genuine enthusiasm for what the future could bring and how we could make an impact in that positive future. And that's what gets my heart beating faster. You know, when people start talking, hopefully, when they start talking and framing things in what is possible instead of what is impossible, that really gets the heart beating faster. So, yeah. I don't know if that's uh, that's helpful, but I, I just wanted you to know that I had been thinking a lot about what, what we discussed. And I think that's the point of asking those kinds of questions. So thank you. Thank you for that opportunity. And um, I hope you have a great long weekend.